Hello, hello. It is the Productize Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Brian Castle. Today on the show, we've got Josh Frank. He's the founder of testtriggers.com. That's a productized service focused on conversion rate optimization for e-commerce stores. Josh has been at this for over three years now, doing really well with it. In his words, he built up the productized service, then tore it all down and built it all back up again. And we get the whole story in today's episode. Josh was one of the very first people that I connected with through my productized program. And he was able to leave a full-time position and pretty quickly transition into this productized service offering, find success with it pretty early on. And as I said, you know, he really evolved with it over time. So we talked all about that story and uh, what he learned along the way and where things are at today, how he's been able to scale it and adapt it. And then we, of course, we talked about conversion rate optimization. I kind of picked his brain a little bit on that and some low-hanging fruit, some tips and tricks and tools that we can put to use when it comes to optimizing conversions on our sites. So here we go. Here's my conversation with Josh Frank. Enjoy. Okay, I'm here with Josh Frank from Test Triggers. Josh, how's it going? Great, man. I'm glad to be speaking with you again. You know, I've been a fan of your material. You've actually helped me quite a bit with my business on the productized stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into. So I'm really glad to be kind of hashing things out a couple of years later talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to catch up with you. If I remember correctly, I think you were in the very first group of people who went through the productize program when it like initially launched. And you were one of like the very first success stories too with test triggers. Yeah, I remember joining that as I, I sort of found it at a pretty serendipitous time. Um, I was the head of e-commerce marketing at a retail startup. One day we all walked in and it was like, hey, we're being acquired. And it was kind of like not necessarily the woohoo acquisition. It was a little more of like the everyone's got to find something else to do acquisition. And so, you know, being in marketing and having those skills, I had always done freelance stuff, but I was about to put up the shingle, as they say, as just the generic, you know, marketing consultant. And again, I said it was sort of serendipitous to find productize and realize like, this is my leg up against the traditional marketing agency. Um, traditional marketing agencies are generally pretty terrible at providing like actual measurable results. Um, and so productizing things and saying, in my case, running uh, conversion optimization services and A-B tests for e-commerce companies, here's what you're getting every month. You're getting these A-B tests, you know, these heat maps and whatever else is involved with that. So yeah, again, came to me at a great time. I uh, was a part of that I don't know if you want to call it a pilot group or whatever, but it was it was great. And it definitely helped me close deals a hell of a lot faster than I would have otherwise. That's awesome. And what's interesting about that, I mean, we're going to really dive deep into the story here. But one thing that just sticks out to me there is that I get a lot of questions from people who say like, you know, I've been at this job and I see your stuff about productized services, but do I have to be a freelancer first? or a consultant first before I can start productizing. And I think in your case, you went straight from leaving the company into launching testtriggers.com, basically. Is, is that right? Yeah. My back was a little against the wall, you know? And so that tends to uh, bring ideas out of necessity and, and bring things out of necessity. So, you know, what was happening there was, again, I was going the traditional consultant freelance route. But, you know, one thing that happened was kind of finding the the understanding productizing just the concept of it clicked with me. I didn't want to be all things to all people. I understood that that from a marketing standpoint isn't a great thing to do. And so I found productize and I also started to kind of listen to people around me. When I walked around the office, people always said, oh, that's the A-B testing guy. You know, we were in a big, one of those big startup offices with tons of different companies. Um, and I was always kind of grabbing lunch with people so they could pick my brain on A-B testing. And so finally, again, you know, you're in the shower one day and I was like, wait a minute, why am I thinking so hard about this? You know, I can set up a service where I do A-B testing. It's directly tied to bottom line revenue. Things started to click. But I think that the clarity of having really no other option, I was out of a job and I could have taken another full-time job, but I'd always wanted to go out on my own. And so it, those things just sort of lined up. And I think that, you know, it was a necessity thing, but also the matching of the positioning aspect from A-B testing and productizing it so that I wasn't, you know, I never wanted to end up running a PPC campaign ever again. And so thankfully, I don't have to do that anymore. So before we get into that story, like, what were you coming from? What was your position at that previous company or, or the last few years before you went on your own? What were you doing? Yeah, so for four or five years before starting Test Triggers, I was in various roles that were, you know, e-commerce manager, right? So everything from heading up a Magento site redesign, which is a huge project and moving over the 5,000 products and also being in charge of 
pay-per-click campaigns, right? All these different things that have to do with the website and the success of the website. So again, the understanding conversion rate optimization and A-B testing was another thing that came out of necessity. When you have that many projects in the e-commerce realm, there are so many different things you can do, so many different avenues. So like the company that you were working for, was it one e-commerce shop or was it like a company that worked with many e-commerce stores? No, I was at two different e-commerce stores before. So uh, one was selling like... um, office supplies and doing like a social give back. Um, and then before that, I was at a, a pro audio retailer. So really neat selling like everything from full blown recording studios to, you know, electric lady studios and all these incredible studios all the way down to, you know, the microphone I'm talking on right now. So a really neat blend. And the challenge there was, and you got a lot of people who are used to selling on the phone and web was still sort of new. So uh, a neat challenge there to, to bring them on to e-commerce. Uh, so that's where I got the, the e-commerce chops just came from that. And uh, everybody in those environments has just hundreds and hundreds of ideas, right? If you're in marketing or even marketing adjacent, you know, everyone has a good marketing idea. So A-B testing was a way to sort of stop them at the door and put a filter up. And, and it was a neat, you know, implementing a testing culture for the first time five, six years ago was, you know, I wouldn't quite call it groundbreaking, but it was a lot tougher than it is now. Yeah. So you were like kind of like a generalist marketer for e-commerce, but you started to kind of niche yourself down into A-B testing before you even went out on your own? Yeah, for sure. The A-B testing skills came from both of the e-commerce gigs where, you know, when I would go into analytics, I would just look and say like, man, we're spending X thousands of dollars on PPC campaigns, um, on pay-per-click, on uh, retargeting, all these different things. And if we could just get even a 10% increase in our conversion rate, that budget becomes so much more useful you know, the revenue obviously goes up, but it's just is a, is a dial that when you turn it, um, it makes everything else so much more profitable. So I just really, yeah, I really settled in on that as being something where if I was going to be somewhere, we were going to have testing as a part of our, you know, the way we do things, but also as a part of the culture. A-B testing is something right now where everybody likes to talk about it, but very few people, companies are really, really doing it compared to how many blog posts are written about it. Everyone says, oh, we tested that. Yeah, no, nah, probably. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm going to be the first. I'm embarrassed to say this, but I have actually never run an A-B test on any of my sites going back to all of my sites. Like it's, it, that seems crazy to me, but I feel like every time I thought about doing it, I was like, ah, I could just do something else and maybe I'll get to that later. And I just kind of always push it off. So I definitely want to kind of pick your brain about conversion rate optimization and A-B testing in general. We're going to save a chunk of this interview near the end to do uh, a dive into that. But, you know, as always, I, I want to kind of get your story and, and hear how you've been successful with test triggers as a, uh, a productized service. So, you know, one thing that kind of caught my attention when you, when you reached out to me again, you said something about how you built up your productized service and then you unproductized it and tore it all down and built it back up again. And so I kind of want to hear how that trajectory happened. I mean, first of all, like, what was your very first step? Like, so you leave that company, you're figuring out something to do. Where did that, the actual concept for like testtriggers.com come from? Yeah. So as I was rifling through ideas and thinking about what my next step would be, um, like I mentioned before, the thought of walking around the office of people saying, oh, he's the A-B testing guy. I finally succumbed to that and just leaned into it and said, that's not a bad thing. That, that's a positive, not a negative, right? Everybody has a brand, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, the concept of A-B testing, you're able to tie it directly to revenue. You know, if you're a, a branding consultant, it's not as clear, right? So that was something where I said, if I can do this and do it successfully, it's going to be profitable and people are going to be happy because they can point directly at, at that number and say, you know, fantastic. So going through the productizing process, so to speak, I got really into it and I really went for it. And so in my head, I was thinking, and this is going back, you know, three, three and a half years, I'm thinking I can scale this like nobody can scale this because we'll be running A-B tests and we'll have, you know, there'll be 25, 30 customers and they'll get like unlimited A-B tests every month. And growing that, uh, there are a couple of telltale signs that this was not going to work. One is simply that A-B testing is like the tip of the, it's, it's the end of the process or all the things that lead up into it. So you can't just look at a site and this is probably, this is ego, right? You look at a site and you go, oh, this is terrible. I could do so much better if we tested this, that, and the other thing, right? So um, I was running around like the proverbial chicken with my head cut off, running A-B tests and all these different sites, charging probably one-tenth of what I should charge. Were, were you actually offering unlimited tests or was it like one test per month? Well, it was unlimited tests knowing that 
you can't, I mean, we can only run so many tests on the site, right? You can't run, you're not going to run two tests on the same page. So it came out to, let's say four or five tests a month or something like that, um, which still was too many because they weren't well thought out, research backed AB tests, right? So this lasted for maybe a couple of months and well, okay. So before we move on from there, um, again, you're coming from a company, so it's not like you've built up a network outside of that company, right? Like how did you find your first people and first prospects and, and customers? So two different things that I used. One, uh, I'm not a person that believes that I have a quote unquote, you know, large network um, of people. But again, the necessity breeds creativity and you start to find people where you go, oh, I remember meeting these people at conferences. Uh, so I knew I was targeting director of e-commerce roles, which I had a unique perspective in the sense that I was in that role. So I knew, I knew that people are beating down your door with ideas. You just want things that work. You know, if you can point as a, you know, speaking as the director of e-commerce, if you can point to a conversion rate uptick, you know, you're the hero of that meeting. Like that was really the pitch. And so I went to people I met at conferences, used the network. That's really, really interesting. And I feel like this can be easily glossed over for a lot of people. But what you targeted there is the actual like personal win that your target customer will have. I mean, when somebody just looks at your site on the surface, it's like, okay, they do A-B testing or they do conversion rate optimization. And at the end of the day, they help to increase conversions. Yes, that's true. But truly the reason why a person will make the decision to pay you money is because you're going to make them a hero. And that's that's their personal goal. And they're going to be able to point to, okay, that definitely worked and that definitely did not work. And having that satisfaction or recognition and driving the results with it, that's ultimately the thing that you're going after. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you're in the uh, the marketing meeting, right, and your social media person says, oh, we, you know, we got uh, 10,000 more Facebook likes this month and last month. What's the first thing that somebody in that room says? How much money are we making off of these Facebook likes? What's a Facebook like worth? Right. If you're the director of e-commerce and you can say, oh, last month we ran a couple of A-B tests. One of them had a 15% uptick in conversions through the cart. And that's $35,000 a month for us in sales. You win that. I mean, you're walking out of that meeting with your chest bumping out and, and all those things. And again, because I was directly in that position, right? So I was intimately aware of of that mindset. So for me, I mean, I'd like to say that I crafted that using all sorts of psychology and whatever else, but I, I literally... Yeah, it's going with what you know. Yeah, I'm going to create the service that I always wish I had as a director of e-commerce so that I could run ideas through a system, get them tested, know what works, and not you know feel so crazily overwhelmed with uh, you know that job, which can be a, a bear. I love it. Okay, so you know who you're going after and, and, and you have a really strong pitch for them, but still, how do you reach them? So besides, after I exhausted my personal network, that landed maybe two clients. And I also just went, um, I did cold email. But the cold email that I did, and I saw this somewhere, that somebody had written it up in a blog post of somebody taking the prospects like website and doing a screencast and saying, here's exactly what I can do for you. One, two, three. And when they see their website on your video, it's really powerful. Oh yeah. And you can use, I used like the Chrome, like this is probably the limit of my developer knowledge, but I used the Chrome inspect tool so I could change the headline and whatever else. So I would literally be showing them, uh, yeah. here's a test we could run where, you know, your email signup says submit to join our e-newsletter. And my version says, sign up to get 10% off and exclusive deals and whatever else we would be testing. So that was like really hooked people. I mean, the response rate on those emails was crazy high, which was good. But at that point, I still had not figured out my targeting, which led to a lot of customers that just churned out. A-B testing wasn't for them. Traffic couldn't support it. And that led to the house of cards sort of uh, starting to fall down. So got a bunch of questions about this period early on. I mean, I know it was like two or three years ago. First of all, like you said that you're, you're going to run like unlimited tests for clients. Can you share like what was your pricing at that time and how did you get started with a client? Yeah. So everything was obviously like a monthly retainer based. And I believe my first client was at somewhere like $600 a month or something like that, um, which I thought was, I mean, I was like, this is going to be great. <laughs> you know, I'm really going to be raking it in when I can outsource all these A-B tests to be built. And it was just like, $600 every month. I'm going to write you a monthly report that shows you 
all the tests that we ran, um, the success of those tests. And if we have a winner, I'm going to send you the code. You know, I'm going to try and be really helpful on the implementation side. Because again, like hearkening back to the amount of times that I knew as an e-commerce director, like we have things we want to do and the code just sits there and uh, development pipelines are, they take forever. Right. So like, even though you've tested something and something was successful, you still can't solidify and put it in because the designer developer needs to actually update the site. For sure. Right. So we would do like a little workaround where we would say, basically, this test is a winner. Okay, great. Let's force all the traffic to the variation for a couple of weeks while you get your dev team you know, to implement it fully, will help with the code. Again, we would like send whatever code or images or mock-ups and stuff that we had. And every month, again, we would go through this process and write the monthly reports. And, you know, one of the lessons I learned there is that nobody wants to read a monthly report. (laughs) Nobody wants to sit down with a 22-page PDF every month and a cup of coffee to read things when you could just tell them, you know, these three tests didn't do anything. This one did. Here are the next steps. Yeah. So yeah, like what were your kind of like very first learnings from your first batch of customers there? So the biggest set of learnings definitely was just about the work that it really takes for conversion rate optimization as a whole, right? And underneath conversion rate optimization is A-B testing. That's just the way you prove out these ideas. Right. Like A-B testing on the surface seems so simple. It seems like a, a tactical thing that you could just turn on and off, but it's really the strategy and the consulting and the figuring out what to test, right? Yeah, the conversion research is the biggest portion of it, you know, by far. A-B testing is literally just how you're going to prove that out. But coming up with ideas based on like looking at a site, the fancy name for that is a heuristic analysis, but you're basically just looking at the site and saying, oh, this felt a little uncomfortable or I, I think there's some friction here. That's a good way to come up with testing ideas. But if you're just doing that and looking at analytics, you're missing a pretty key component. So the biggest lesson I learned there was to create a customer research system, which we did with um, things like heat maps, uh, visitor polls to ask questions like, uh, you know, we noticed you or when someone's about to abandon cart, you know, any reason why you didn't want to make this purchase today, you know, all sorts of questions like that, that give us just incredible feedback. So things like that, like that, that part of it, I mean, Google Analytics can tell you where there are problems on your site, but customer research tells you why those problems are happening how to fix them, what types of variations you might want to run when you're doing an A-B test. Because again, it's it's just Google Analytics doesn't actually tell you anything. You're just looking at numbers. <laughs> exactly. And every industry is different. They're, I'm sure they're, they're just not any hard and fast rules about like, oh, the button always has to be yellow. You know, like that's just not the case from one industry to the next. Like even if they're all Magento e-commerce stores, selling, you know, recording equipment versus selling office supplies are completely different people on the other end. Yeah, this is one of the biggest problems that still exists in the conversion rate optimization or CRO world um, is that as much as uh, if you're doing this for a living, like you're really doing this, you're really in this, you know that best practices really just aren't a thing. They just aren't. And yet every day you go to sites that have a great reputation that are still posting the list of 10 quick growth hacks for your e-commerce site. And there'll be stuff in there like, you know, Hopefully not button color, because that really is the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that really is the one that just needs to get that no, it just needs to get blown up and never to be heard from again. But just the generic things you hear, and it's like you know, people say, okay, you can't have a sliding carousel on your homepage because it'll absolutely tank your conversions. I mean, I'm not a fan of carousels, but I've certainly tested them and had plenty of times where it made no effect. It wasn't like I went, oh, you know what? I did that 10 times and, and every time it tanked conversions. You must not have a, a carousel. So that's, I think, again, like one of the biggest struggles is just it's so easy to hit a blog post that says these are 10 proven A-B tests. You know, we tested this, so it's true. But like you said, different industries, different sites, it's just completely, they react completely differently to, uh, uh, to different changes. So from early on, what did you identify as like things that are going wrong? Like this is harder or like this is not exactly what you envisioned. Like what triggered for you? Like, okay, I need to tweak or change or even just pull this whole thing down. Yeah. So the three big things that I noticed that I really needed to change. One was simply, I, I was definitely not charging enough and I was aiming for too many clients for the way I could scale this. Cause I realized that I couldn't scale this by simply 
telling someone to run A-B tests, right? I had to have somebody who understood conversion research. Um, so I knew that was going to take some time. So just to be clear, like your goal with this from the start was to eventually scale it out with a team, have other people doing the technical delivery of conversion rate optimization. You did not intend this to be like a personal consultant, like a productized consultancy. Well, I'd intended that I would always be, you know, the handle a lot of the optimization strategy. But the goal was to implement people that could handle the testing pipeline, right? From idea to building to QAing to like that that process. Um, you know, I think I thought I'd have, to have all these little people like, you know, how you imagine your head, they're just like churning through A B testing ideas. But again, the second thing was that A B testing was not the thing to rely on. Because when you say all we do is A B testing, then clients are sitting there going, Well, we just had a month where no A B tests won. Why are we paying you? I mean, not in such direct terms, but that was the mindset was the success or failure of the productized service depended solely on an A-B test winning or not. And if you've done A-B tests for any amount of time, you know there are going to be stretches you go through where they're all going to be inconclusive, uh, where there was no direct winner or direct loser. And so tacking on this conversion research where my mindset shifted from producing A-B testing winners to making it so that the conversion research that we delivered was going to be so good that even if an A-B test didn't win, the client would say like, wow, like looking at the insights you pulled from heat maps, the um, insights from customer surveys or guided user tests, um, that those were going to be worth their weight and worth the price of the ticket. And then when it came along with from this, we created an idea that had a 15% lift in checkouts that was really going to drive it home. Got it. So like in, in addition to like the actual conversion rate increases, they can gain new insights from their customers or learn about new product directions that they can go in or site design tweaks that could help. Absolutely. And delivering that research, I mean, that ends up being a lot of assumption busting. You know, like if you're in the example of an e-commerce company, you know, the e-commerce store owner goes to the customer service person and says, you know, what are people talking about? And I hear this all the time because I you know, I go to visit clients and I talk to the customer service team and inevitably they will say, well, 95% of people say X, Y, Z. Well, ding in my head, I'm going, it's not 95% of people. <laughs> 95% of people don't do anything on a website alike. So it's really about creating those visitor polls and surveys and user tests where we can say, okay, these are the things people are talking about where friction is happening. And you're, again, you're really assumption busting to help use that to fuel A-B testing ideas. So what was your next step from there? So you're finding out that like, okay, you're charging too little. Plus, I guess these clients require too much input or communication strategy over a long period of time. That's hard to scale. You're focused too heavily on the A-B testing piece. Like what was your next step to change things? So the shift was to go from basically taking any site. We had thought it out and I, I went through this with um, like my first like part-time team member was if you have more than 10,000 unique visitors, we can do A-B testing. And the only reason we said that was because that's what Optimizely, the testing tool, would suggest as like, this is a good amount to do A-B tests. Not even close. M maybe if you're doing them in-house and you can run one every six weeks, you're not making your livelihood on, on doing testing and optimization. So we switched that to over 100,000 unique visitors, um, which is 10x the amount we were going after before. And also at 100,000 unique visitors... If you make a small change, you make a 5%, a 10%, a 15% lift, it's so much more impactful. So having one successful test out of a certain amount of time, it gives you all the glory and you can keep doing that research and plodding along. So that was a big shift to just going after bigger fish. Um, with that came obviously like our pricing went up and we started to, I think I told you this, started to unproductize the service a little bit in the sense that we were no longer going to put the price on the front page. We were going to talk and, and see how much traffic how many analytics tools were they already using? What was their products, you know, set like? Yeah, I, I noticed that I think currently, I know that your pricing, you know, changes over time, but it looks like currently you have like an FAQ section at the bottom and, and in there you kind of have a, a brief mention of like, you know, plans start at this dollar amount. Right, exactly. And to help kind of qualify people before they get in touch, basically. Yeah, because again, A-B testing, conversion rate optimization is exciting. And so like, I was just getting on a lot of calls too, where it was just, it was a qualifying issue for sure. With pricing and, and again, 100,000 unique visitors was kind of the sort of cap that we did. I mean, would we do a couple at 75 or something like that? Maybe. But it, again, you have to sort of then like get on the phone and, and, and talk to people. And so that took the amount of clients way down and made everything so much easier. Yeah. You know, one thing I noticed about your site 
still today, I think even going back to a few years ago, I see the word e-commerce only briefly mentioned in some of the smaller type, but like it wasn't immediately apparent to me that you only work with e-commerce stores. Well, I guess that's a question. Like, are you only working with e-commerce or do you also work with like SaaS or other types of businesses? Yeah, there are a couple, um, really just two clients that aren't traditional e-commerce. One of the things with SaaS that just is extra difficult is churn. So you create a test and you change a headline, let's say, and it upticks in trials or even paid signups, whatever that case may be. But your headline wasn't as directly aligned with what the product was inside or how the product changed. And so like now you're looking at an A-B test and channeling that through and trying to tie that to churn. And there were things where it was like, there's kind of enough, there's enough to be done in the e-commerce realm where all sales are a great sale. And there's just completely extra dynamic on SaaS. And I think, you know, if you poke around and do some searching, you'll find a lot of SaaS companies that say, hey, we tried A-B testing and it just like was a nightmare. Not was a nightmare, but. Right. It brings in the wrong customers who may sign up and pay for a month or two, but then they churn out. And I guess that's even harder to track back. Like, was this change causing this group to come in or was it something else? And yeah, it, it, it's definitely um, a bear. And so again, we target more pretty much exclusively e-commerce and I think I had mentioned this to you before. I mean, when we began pivoting towards having fewer clients, more of a, I hate this word, but more of like a boutique service, the fact that it's relatively productized, that was simply an advantage against other agencies. Like when we are going after a client and everything we do is very clearly outlined, very like systematic, as opposed to the nebulous agency proposal uh, where we're going to work X amount of hours on your project. So that was like, it became our competitive advantage. That's one of the biggest things I love talking about, right? Is like productized services, they're easier to sell, but they're easier to buy. You know, like it just, it answers all of your questions. It takes, I guess it doesn't ever fully take the risk out of the equation, but you know exactly what you're going to pay for and exactly what you're going to get. And, you know, the typical consultancy or agency is X number of hours. You know, we don't know how much time this might end up taking. You know, there are all sorts of variables. And well, think about it in this way too, from the hourly perspective. I mean, it's so silly when you like talk it out. If you're doing especially conversion optimization hourly, there are times when research takes you down a rabbit hole and you are convinced you're going to have like a golden nugget idea at the end of this. So you whip up like analytics segments and you watch visitor recordings. You do all these things and kind of like maybe an idea comes from it, but it's not a winner or it never makes it to an A-B test. And the client goes like, wow, like 88 hours this month, you know, like what's going on? And then another month, maybe you have 18 hours and this discrepancy having to tie those to like, it's just, it's bad for everyone in the months where a lot of work is necessary. And maybe if we were doing it a per hour, we're losing money because we're not doing it per hour because we're working a lot in a month that bears its fruits like later on, like that research just doesn't necessarily materialize maybe for a month or two, or you need that other piece of research that you find later on to put them together. But we have a comfort in the way that we work and do research by having it be productized and the customer like the same way, like they know these bulleted list items, that's what I'm going to get every month, regardless. Sometimes it's more time spent in different areas of it, but um, it's not that more research doesn't equal more expense to the customer. Yeah, exactly. And like, I guess every hour is not equal, right? Like some hours end up being more productive than others. And that's not to say that like, okay, if you have one set price and you end up spending 88 hours, you know, your service is going to be losing money and you're going to constantly go into the hole. It's really just about standardizing down and streamlining the way that you do things, setting prices, like giving yourself enough margin overall and focusing on results. And ultimately results are what's going to drive the whole thing forward anyway. So like, I guess kind of getting back to this evolution of test triggers, you talked about like kind of like tearing things down before you built it back up again. I guess you kind of said a moment ago about how you, you moved into more of a consultancy. Like what did that look like? And, and like, I guess kind of like what did some of your processes look like and your tools and, and systems at this point? Was it still kind of like everything was custom or did you start to get into like a routine? So in that regard, one of the most you know, dramatic, I guess, things that happened during that process was sending an email to probably five, six clients that just said like, this isn't going to work anymore. Those were clients where the traffic just could not support A-B testing. And I said, here are your last three months back. Uh, you know, here are your last three months of costs right back to you. Like this hasn't been working for a couple of months. You don't have the traffic to support it. We're going to be moving in this other direction. 
um, and just saying, you know, saying goodbye. That was tough, but it allowed me again, like at that point I had started to bring on customers at a actual profitable, <laughs> uh, for, for this new direction. And so I was able to kind of like make it out of that month. As far as like systems, I mean, the overall systems have simply been like added on to and tacked on to over time. I mean, as far as like simply we do weekly meetings with clients. So from the systems perspective, not a lot has changed over time. We got rid of monthly reports, switched to simply weekly calls. Weekly calls was something I wanted to avoid at all costs when starting things out. But when you have fewer clients, and I mean, this is going to sound a little cheesy, but when you really get to pick your clients and you enjoy your clients, again, you're delivering this productized service. It's, there aren't these big projects that get really nasty. There are these small bite-sized things you're checking in on, moving things along. And again, no one was reading the monthly reports, but there was really good information in there that I really wanted to make sure it got passed along. So quick weekly calls was what we um, switched over to. The monthly reports is interesting you bring that up. I mean, we, in audience ops, we did them since basically the beginning and we did them largely manually. Like my team would go through their Google analytics and stuff and like pull out individual numbers. We'd put them in a Google doc. We did that for each individual content piece for every single client. And it got to the point where my team, it was such a massive bottleneck for my team just to produce the monthly reports that like, you know, we wouldn't send like the June report until like July 20th, at least, you know, and it backed up everything else that the team was doing. And so I started to phase them out as we started to launch Ops Calendar because that starts to track results automatically in the software. And like when we made that change, way more than half of our clients like didn't even notice that we kind of started phasing out the reports. And I mean, they could still see their numbers and everything in, in analytics and in Ops Calendar, but it's just becoming much more automated and like the teams freed up like, like you know, 20 fold. Yeah. And I think I probably spent a decent amount of time that ended up maybe being a little wasted trying to automate the monthly reports, right? Like, so keep everything in Markdown, which is like a, you know, a sort of text-based code language that, you know, can get copy and pasted around pretty easily. And if we kept it in that and we could pull from Trello and it would send automatically to Google Doc that would get, tra- like, we did some work on that for sure. And using a tool like Zapier, Zapier, however you say that, to move things back and forth. I mean, it was neat and it was clever, but <laughs> it just... Oh, did you see that neat insight about the the heat map on the last monthly report? Yeah, it's on page 14 of of the monthly report. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, Yeah, so being able to just like have a quick call and and touch base and say, hey, here's something really, really important. Also, you can emphasize, you know, you're talking to people, you can emphasize what's important and why that idea gets prioritized. So, And is that you? Like, are you doing the calls with all the clients? uh, Yeah, I'm still doing, like, this has turned back much towards mainly like, solo consulting. So I'm doing all of the calls. I have someone that joins me on the calls, you know, to take notes, help. They're managing the pipeline, right? So the two of us are on the calls with clients, but it's been an interesting, like, again, shift of, I didn't enjoy the process of scaling it. And I remember um, I was visiting a client and I was like getting on the plane to come back home. And I was thinking to myself, I had that three-day visit. I enjoyed all of it. I had a great time. Like if I could just have five, six of these, we could be at the right price. This is as great of a business as anything else. I think scaling was just, it was so, it's like, it's, it's a buzzword. It's like what you need to do. You have to scale. Otherwise you don't have a business. You're just a freelancer. And I just liked what I was doing. And I thought if I could do more of it like this, that was going get to get me to the same destination just with a different route. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and so what does it look like today? Like, is it you plus one person? Uh, it's me plus three people, one that's pretty much full-time and two that are part-time doing designing and developing, moving the tests through the pipeline, and then kind of a general support role. That makes a lot of sense, right? You're getting to focus your time and your hours on the things where you add the most value and the things that are most stimulating for you and makes the whole thing enjoyable. I mean, that's why you're, you know, we all do what we do every day. You don't want to, you know, hate what you do for a living. But then the mechanical, the stuff, the routine and the technical implementation, you've got people on your team who can help you execute on all that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for instance, I mentioned a couple of times, one of the things we do a lot and this, like doing this on your site has nothing to do with A-B testing. It should be mandatory to do this. So taking a tool, um, we use a tool called Hotjar, which does a lot of different customer research things. I'll only talk about one thing, which is the visitor polls. So you can say, if somebody hits this page, whether it's your cart page or your pricing page or 
your schedule a, a call uh, page and someone's on that page for 15 seconds, the little visitor poll kind of slides up from the bottom. You've probably seen them like going around to sites. You know, if you don't schedule a demo today, what's the one thing holding you back, right? Thousands and thousands of questions you could ask. But when you do one of those, um, now remember, we switched our target market here to 100,000 visits a month at least, right? You run a poll like that and you have it up for a week and there are, you know, 1,200 responses. Sending those to a support person and saying, you know, run it through this filter. Yeah, like normalize these. Normalize. Look for words like love, hate, afraid, never, always, right? Those really strong words. And there's a process, you know, an SOP, I guess, or standard operating procedure to kind of go through to then pull up and sort these so that I can go in and look at like 50 to 100 of them, which is manageable. And again, like you see a lot of these, you can scan them pretty quick. And like you said, that's the fun. Someone's bringing you these like insights and you're able to say like, huh, I had a suspicion that that's what was happening and then pass it to someone else. Go, this is, yeah, that test we did with the other site, that would actually be good for them as well. Kind of carry on. And so how many clients are you running right now? Or just like at at a given time at a date usually? Yeah, four to six. It kind of goes between there. And if it were to go above six, there would have to be another quote unquote me. There has to be another person who can handle that research. Because I don't think the distance or closeness of me to the clients, I think is about the level that I would like it to be right now, right? So I could scale up further and get further away from the client. But it's just not where I'm best utilized, and it's not it's really not what I like doing. Yeah, you know, I was just talking to uh, Taylor Pearson, the interview, the episode before this one, and he's focused on apprenticeships, and he's got a marketplace for you know finding apprentices for your business. And it's interesting. I mean, in your case, you if you were to go this route, you could get somebody on your team. I mean, they're joining you on the calls, they're doing the implementation. They could eventually be promoted up into like a strategist role. And that can go from like six to ten clients to, you know, they could manage a couple, or they could even take on your longer term clients who you worked with in the first six months, and then they get into a pretty good routine and then they kind of go on to them to kind of manage for the long term. Yeah, I think that's definitely the desired way to do it for sure. Now, I I do have people now that have been working with me for like a year plus. And so they really do understand the nuts and bolts of optimization. And it's such a jack of all trades type position where you it's a little marketing. It's a little bit technical. There's some design elements. So it's, you know, you're sort of having to get these little elements. And, And, you know, the biggest lesson that I try to help everybody unlearn is that successful A-B testing has nothing to do with how smart you are. The more you try, attempt to use your smarts and think that you have the right idea, the more you're just going to run into a brick wall as opposed to following the system and saying, you know what, analytics told us there's a problem on this page. We ran the poll or did a user test. And yeah, it confirmed that not only is there a problem, here's what it is. People are having a difficulty when it comes to the sizing of this product in an e-commerce environment or for a SaaS or consulting, it's like people are just not quite sure what the offer is. They think it's this and really it's that. And then taking that and turning it into an A-B test and running through that system just over and over and over again. Um, the more you try and rely on your own staring at a blank page, coming up with ideas, the more you're going to run into a brick wall. So that's unlearned. You have to unlearn that. Right, right. I've got a couple like rapid fire questions about CRO. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. I just wanted to touch on your marketing for test triggers. So you mentioned that at some point you kind of moved up from sites with 10,000 visitors to 100,000 visitors. That's obviously a very different type of client or a different level. Maybe they're selling the same things, but just at a higher level. So like, how were you able to even, like, you can't just like increase your prices and say, now we have these larger clients. Like, how do you actually go out and get them? Well, it sort of was like that. Um, Okay. (laughs) I mean, in a sense, being able to justify the ROI of this is really scalable in the sense that, you know, charging more and going after larger sites means larger returns. So in that sense, it was not a ton changed as far as like the sales pitch. I mean, to be honest, the work is similar, whether it's 10,000 or 100,000. There's obviously more data to go through. So even like the marketing tactics, like whether you're using like cold email or you can still reach the same people at those companies at that size? Yeah. One of the little twists that I put on it was, is that I did start targeting founders instead of head of e-commerce because founders were much more receptive to. Yeah. I want to hire bottom line. Sure. <laughs> yeah. The cold, the cold email video pitch, um, like, Hey, and again, and using the, our like uh, productized roots, so to speak to say, 
this is a service that's literally engineered for this. You know, you pay for this, this, and that, kind of being really clear about that and showing them. Enthusiastic founders, like it's really tough to say like, I don't at least want to talk, like get this guy on the phone. But once we got our first sort of cohort, so to speak, of larger clients that were paying the rate that like made sense for us, then we just sort of did things like this. Like we would say to our clients, hey, if you're going to be going to e-commerce conferences and you happen to talk to people about, you know, A-B testing or conversion rate optimization, we would love, you know, if you'd mention my name and like just like a quick discovery call. Um, because again, we're not trying to go from six clients to 16 clients. It's like, let's try and get one client in the hopper and maybe in three to four months, like they'll be ready and we can like slot them in if somebody comes out. It's just not, you just don't need to have that many sales conversations uh, compared to, you know. Yeah. And what does your sales process look like at this point? Like you have four to six clients at a time. Like, do you just kind of keep a waiting list? And like, how does that work? Yeah. So I'll do, um, if I can schedule it out, then we'll say like, we'll start this process in maybe three months or something. But I've also simply referred them to like, I have kind of two other companies that I just refer them to. I say, Hey, these people are like really great. And I'll do that kind of more upfront. Like, Hey, you know, yeah, if you're looking for somebody right now, yeah, yeah. If you're looking for somebody right now, this person's like really great. Here are what some clients have said about them. Like, you know, intro them to somebody else. If again, because a lot of times it's like you've just sold me on the idea of being able to get insights from research and do A/B tests, and I'm certainly not going to wait three months in order to start this, um, which I can't blame anybody for. And like, what do your terms look like? Like, are they signing up for month by month or a six month commitment, a twelve month? How does that work? Yeah, so it's month by month with a heavy caveat where I say, listen, this is three months is reasonable. You know, if you don't think you want to try this for three months, like let's not even try it at all. And I just haven't needed to implement like a contract. I, I try to keep it month to month in exchange for not, you know, the one question, and I, I honestly don't hear this question much anymore, but I used to hear it, which was, do you guarantee A-B testing results? And I started to learn like that certain questions like put a little flag up. One was, do you guarantee A-B testing results? Two was, do you offer discounts? Or like when negotiating was like right off the bat, it just didn't. I mean, I get questions like that, you know, or they, they say like exactly what, what kind of numbers can I expect or what kind of results can I expect? And it's just like, there's no genuine way, no authentic way to predict that. I mean, from market to market, you know, I mean, companies can promise anything that they want, but they're not going to be, you know, it'd be disingenuous if you say like, yeah, we can guarantee that result. Yeah, that was a question that used to like scare me on calls, right? When people would say, what, what are we really talking about? What kind of conversion rate lift can we really get? And, you know, kind of uh, the objection handling or whatever that I came up with for that was simply coming up with, okay, here's a conservative estimate, here's a moderate estimate, and here's an aggressive estimate. From a conversation on the phone, I can't tell you with any accuracy where I think you would fall, right? But like, we're looking at three different steps here where like even at the most conservative you know, you're obviously like making, still making a great investment. And we're literally talking about probably finding a bug, fixing it and getting you 10% more sales. I mean, that stuff happens all the time, all the time running browser tests and just seeing like, this isn't even an AB testing thing, but did you realize that, you know, for anyone on people go, Oh, well, we don't want to develop for IE eight or nine or whatever those versions are. And it's like, well, you're still getting 5,000 people a month that are literally unable to check out. And it's because there's not a close bracket on something. I mean, it's, and you think I'm like overstating or being that's literally things I've seen before where there was a, a closed bracket that wasn't there and IE, whatever it was, was just not having it and nobody could check out. Yeah. Crazy. All right. So a few uh, kind of quick questions about conversion rate optimization in general. As I said earlier, like I've actually never run AB tests on any of my sites. I mean, granted, I don't run a high volume e-commerce site, so that could have something to do with it. But I guess that's probably like my first question. Like to invest any sort of time, effort or money into CRO specifically, do you feel like it's something that most businesses should do or all businesses should do? Or is it the type of thing that like you really have to be a certain type of business, A, with a certain volume, but B, like just selling a lot of one-off products? Are there any sites that just shouldn't really be thinking about CRO? So the customer research part of it, that is something that everyone should be doing. There, There's no like rule where like, you know, you really don't need to do it if, if X, Y, and Z. On the flip side, I think too many sites are trying A-B testing or are trying to force A-B testing to work for them when they should be spending zero time A-B testing or 90% of the time should be focused on conversion research and you know, 10 to 20% of the time should be spent on A-B tests. So I want to make conversion research more clear. So 
I'll use the tool Hotjar just because it's the one that we use. And again, it's something where like you can get signed up with Hotjar for $29 or something like that, $29 a month. And you're getting access to heat maps, scroll maps, visitor recordings, which are actual recordings of mouse movement of the people on your site. So if you have low volume, you don't have a ton of traffic, but you know the traffic coming to your site is worthwhile and important and you want to know how to like better their experience, grab a bucket of popcorn. Yeah. Just sit there and watch. <laughs> and just sit there and watch them. Um, you will be, first of all, shocked by like just the habits of how some people use <laughs> their internet browser. You'll be like, I, well, well, I can't believe you do. You know, Why are you clicking on that? <laughs> it, it, that why would you click on that? You're really going to, you know, you really need to follow the cursor along the text as you read it. Like, you know, so, I'll, <laughs> right. but it's probably, just probably my mom. Yeah. <laughs> but it helps you to understand. And again, like it busts a lot of assumptions about how people use your site. Um, so again, on, on the lower end, like those more qualitative approaches to research and the things that like, quote unquote, aren't scalable, like you should be doing those a lot. If you don't have a ton of traffic, I would absolutely be doing those. Like I would have a standing weekly appointment to watch some visitor recordings, to check out heat maps and to do again, the visitor polls where you're, you know, you just, just Google like good visitor research questions to ask. A lot of great stuff will come up. And actually, you know, if you go to, we'll make a testtriggers.com slash productize. I have templates for, uh, here are great questions to ask, you know, on this type of a page, ask this question. So I'll throw those up there as PDFs. Yeah, we'll link that up for sure. Yeah. And that stuff is great because you really only need 20, 25, 30 responses. You can start to see trends or you can see people who just one response goes, man, that's a really great point. I didn't realize it was so difficult to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. So like in terms of some just low hanging fruit, if you've never done any sort of CRO before, and even if you're unsure if A-B testing is for you, you should at least be doing polling or at least start to watch some visitor recording of how people are actually using your site. I, you know, another, I don't know if this is necessarily a question or, or not, but like one thing that I know that I run into with my sites is like, my site has been working well enough for two plus years. You know, I get leads, I get sales. And so now I'm I'm at this point where I'm like, I'm afraid to change anything, you know? Um, do you ever come across that objection from clients? And I, I mean, I guess it just comes down to like, well, you might as well just test it and see. But I don't know, like things like our lead form that are that just seem like so, like, I don't want to change a thing because that's been working since day one and it's so critical. I don't know, like any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, again, it, it's a mindset shift from thinking, um, looking at the website and thinking, what things should I change? And then having in the back of your mind thinking, well, what if I change them and they break things, right? And going one step before that and implementing some of the customer research tools and saying, I'm going to let the website tell me if there are things that need to be changed. So especially in the instance of like, hey, things seem to be working pretty well, test that assumption. You know, go and look at whether it's visitor recordings. Or For all you know, that could be terrible right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, or, or there, there could be one spot that it's like, wow, I have seen a couple of people where they, they went through the lead form and as soon as they got to the, um, you know, a lot of lead forms have a form that says like, what's your annual revenue? And as soon as they got to that point, man, they wavered on that forever. And then they just bounced off the site. Now it, that could be a, a positive qualification happening there or the ranges that you put for, you know, annual revenue were just like totally out of whack with how people tend to fill those out. And people are getting really confused. Um, you know, things like that where, where there could be these little, these little, um, spots where there's just some friction and you notice it once and you go, huh, that was interesting. And then you see it again. And that's when you say, okay, maybe there's something we need to change there as opposed to, again, starting with the idea is always, that's the, that's where you sort of get into trouble. Yeah. Okay. So I guess when you do have volume, when, when you have enough traffic and you do want to start to run some tests, uh, one thing that I'm always kind of wondering about is like, all right, if you're going to run an A-B test on your homepage, is the goal of that A-B test to get somebody to do what? Like eventually make a purchase or is it to like click the call to action button on that page, which brings them down to another page where they might eventually add something to cart and purchase. Like, how do you think about it on like a multi-page funnel? Yeah, let's take the homepage example and think about the hero section, for instance, right? The big giant graphic that has probably a headline and probably a call to action on it. And you want to do some testing around that. The main goal certainly is a completed contact form or a completed sale if you're e-commerce but you step back and you track for the micro conversions as well, which would be clicking on the call to action form, uh, maybe signing up for your drip email campaign or something else where you, you set all these goals and you say, OK, we're going to we're going to track a lot of goals here because we don't know if uh, you just don't know what the effect that, let's say, a headline is going to have. Um, and if you're only tracking like that one goal, like the CTA click, 
Um, it could be a really great CTA, but the next page that they land on, call to action, um, the next page they land on, it just doesn't message match with what they just thought. And they go, well, this doesn't make any sense. And they leave. So definitely tracking multiple goals and trying to obviously engineer for your largest goal, but you know you might need to create some funnel points along the way that you can optimize for. Awesome. Well, I, I mean, I think there's a lot to uh, for us to kind of dig into here. And uh, I mean, you mentioned Hotjar. Are there any other tools that we should be looking at? Yeah, for sure. Um, usertesting.com is another one where, as opposed to watching people use the site, you're actually giving them a script that says something like, hey, you know, imagine you're XYZ come to our site. And so you can guide it a little bit. That's a really great tool. It's something like 50 bucks a video. And it's really not that expensive. Those are really great because somebody's talking over top of the video they're creating for you. Um, so that's a tool that we'll use. Um, Hotjar would definitely be the one tool that has a lot of different tools inside of it. So to, to get you started and not be overwhelmed. And then obviously, I mean, it would be remiss not to talk about Google Analytics. I mean, it's an incredibly powerful tool that's probably underutilized by pretty much everybody and probably set up incorrectly. So that would be one thing where if you do one thing with your analytics, like go through an audit either yourself, you know, you can Google around for that of like, hey, what 10 things are probably wrong with my Google Analytics and either hire somebody to fix that or get it fixed up yourself. Because again, Google Analytics installs that aren't correct is the norm, not the exception. And I'm sure that's especially true for e-commerce. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, Josh, thanks so much for doing this. There's a lot to dig into here. Obviously, your site is testtriggers.com. We'll get that linked up. And yeah, like, as you said, like you have a bunch of resources on your site. I know you have like a free crash course on conversion rate optimization. I think you mentioned you include some questions for us at testtriggers.com slash productize, right? Yeah, we'll put up uh, some templates for doing some user research and stuff like that. Um, also, I'm on Twitter at Josh Frank. So ping me with any kind of questions again you know i love chatting about this stuff and um, there's a lot of murky murky information when it comes to cro out there so you know, i'll try and help help guide when i can awesome well thanks josh all right brian thanks a lot okay that wraps it up did you enjoy this one i mean it couldn't have been that bad you made it this far into the episode right so head over to itunes leave a five-star review i'd really appreciate it and if you're not on my newsletter yet, there's a lot more happening over there. And so you'll definitely want to get up to speed. You can join over on my site, castjam.com. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.